0: Welcome to the Open to Hope Show in partnership with the Compassionate Friends. I'm your host, Dr. Heidi Horsley, and I'm here today with my co-host and mom, Dr. Gloria Horsley. Hi, Mom.
1: Hi, Heidi. Well, I am happy that we're going to be talking about finding hope through grief and uh, laughter because we've got a wonderful person on who does improv, and we've talked a lot about laughter, haven't we, Heidi?
0: Absolutely. I was just talking about it right before the show. Um, Humor and laughter shift our energy so much, and help us in our grief process. Well, Mom, I'm excited to have our guest on today because I love him, and he's such a genuine person, and he is very funny, and his name is Bart Sumner. Bart Sumner is the founder of Healing Improv, a nonprofit which provides no-cost comedy improv grief workshops to people struggling with grief. His son David died in 2009 from a football-related brain injury. He is the author of the book Healing Improv, A Journey Through Grief to Laughter. Welcome to the show, Bart.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
1: Yeah, it's great to have you on. Now, people are saying, oh, these people are talking about laughter. They are a little crazy. And then Mm -hmm. they're talking about his son, uh, David, age 10, dying of a uh, head injury.
2: while playing football, it was really the team manager. I helped with okay. all the equipment and helped keep things organized. And I was there every night with the team when they were practicing. So
1: wow, how horrendous! And and he had he was playing, and then during the
2: practice, and uh, he got tripped up and he went down sort of hard. And I thought, oh gee, he went down hard, but it wasn't a direct hit to the head or anything else. He simply fell forward uh, onto his face mask, but he popped right up gave me the thumbs up that he was okay and went right back into the drills that they were doing. And about five minutes later, his legs went out from under him and uh, he couldn't get up. And anybody that knew David knew he always got back up. So it was, it, well, I knew something was wrong, either it hurt his leg or whatever. And unfortunately, it was the worst nightmare that you could possibly imagine. So. Wow. Yeah.
1: wow. Uh, uh, were you a football player?
2: No, I wasn't. In fact, <laughs> The irony of it was that my parents told me that uh, they didn't want me to play football. They didn't think I was tough enough for it. So I got even with them. I went into the theater, <laughs> which, uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, it, I, it was not me that uh, whose idea was to play football. David came home. He was actually, he was only 10 years old, but it was the beginning of his fourth season of football. He came home in first grade and told me uh, he wanted to play football and he had a flyer in his hand. And mm-hmm. I said to him, you mean flag football? And he went, no, 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 full football, full gear and everything else. You know, with, yeah. so it, it surprised me. Uh, I certainly didn't expect it. And I actually did research. When they're that young, they're not big enough or fast enough or strong enough with all the equipment that they wear. It's actually the safest of the sports until they get bigger. There are mm-hmm. a lot more injuries in baseball and soccer and things like that. I don't attribute David's death to football specifically, it was a bad fall that could have happened anywhere, anytime. It just happened to be on the football field. That that Um, is
0: so bizarre, Bart, that this happened. And my brother was a big football player, and he died at 17, as you know. And when he died, he was varsity quarterback of the high school football team and played football for years and years and started when he was really young. It is so bizarre that, that your son just somehow hit his head in a way that would kill him very, very odd.
2: Yeah. And you know, in fact, he was wearing the best helmet money could buy. I'd actually gone out and bought him the most protective helmet there is out there. And I actually spoke to the guy that designed the helmet and and because he's been trying to make it safer for people to play. And he asked me what happened. And I said, you know, he fell forward under the face mask and he went, oh, he said, that's the one place where we don't, we can't protect the movement of the head and the speed of the movement of the head. Mm -hmm. And that's, You know, one of the one places, it's it's the unfortunate weak spot in the protection.
1: Yeah. You know, um, I think when you say that, it's the one weak spot in the protection. We're always, you know, kind of beating ourselves up. Where was that one weak spot? why didn't no, we protect him in that one weak spot, you know, at automobile accidents? Why did we let them, you know, go with another driver or, you know, whatever? We're always thinking of what what could have been different.
2: There's no doubt. I, I, you know, I, I always make that uh, almost self-apology that, you know, he was wearing full gear. He was wearing the, wearing the best gear money could mm-hmm. buy. You know, it's that lingering guilt that we all go through that even when it's not justified, it, as parents, you know, the one thing we're supposed to do is keep our kids safe. And no matter what happens, we have that lingering guilt that stays with us. That I, I feel the need to to make excuses and make sure people know I wasn't being a bad dad, you know.
1: Yeah, exactly. And now uh, one of the things we also wanted to cover, uh, and Heidi is, is always of interest to her, is that you have uh, – David has a sister, Abby, and so uh, she's the uh, – you might say only living child now, correct?
2: Yes, yeah. She was, uh, she was just about ready to turn eight. She was just a little over two years younger than David when David died, and she's now fourteen. And actually, I'm sitting outside a bowling alley right now. She's inside mm-hmm. bowling on the bowling team, so she's, uh, she's doing very, very well. She, uh, she was a real trooper. She certainly helped my wife and I get through it, and uh, it was. We were a real tight-knit family that did a lot of talking, and we didn't hide any tears from her. And though at the age of seven, she tried to hide a few from us because she didn't understand what was going on, she has certainly come to realize that it was okay to cry and it was okay to express that love whatever way it came out so that we could find a way forward.
1: Yeah. And it's been how many years now?
2: Uh, It's been six years and three months.
1: Yeah, in our world, that's not a long time, is that Heidi?
0: No, absolutely not. And, and you know, and I know that, you know, Bart, you are, this whole show is about working through your grief and, and doing it with laughter. And I think that one of the things that gets in the way oftentimes is the guilt we feel when we laugh or when we have humor in our lives. Because we feel like, you know, I felt like I'm a bad sister if I'm laughing. I should be grieving 24 hours a day and I should never be laughing.
2: Well, that's, that's one of the problems. We, we take that permission for ourselves to enjoy life away when something like this happens. And we, we sort of remove that, that right that every human being has to laugh and have a good time. I was, if you can say it was fortunate, because I was an actor and I was an improv comic and stand-up, not stand-up, but improv comedian, and I taught improv to people. When I went back to work, I went back to making people laugh. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was sort of inbred into me being an actor. I'm very open emotionally and those kind of things. So compared to a lot of people that live nine to five jobs and don't have that outlet, it is who I am. So I was able to get back to it and did not realize just how much good it was doing me until I was three years down the road or so. And I looked back and I realized, wow, that improv and that laughter and who I am. Really saved me, and it, it, I didn't set out to have it specifically save me, but you know, it, it was—it giving yourself that permission to laugh again, which so many people take away from themselves when tragedy strikes.
1: You know, uh, we ha- did three TV shows with a man named uh, Bessel Van der Kolk, and he wrote the book called *The Body Keeps Score*. And one of the things that Bessel talked about is the fact that his son. And, and this isn't due to, he hadn't, hasn't had a family member die. He he works with traumatized individuals. And he said his own son went into a deep depression when he was in high school. They were very, very worried about him. And he started doing improv,
2: and it turned him totally around. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I, I teach improv now uh, here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And a lot of the people that come to classes, since I'm no longer in a hub of show business like L.A. or New York, a lot of the people that come to the improv classes that I teach are not there to to make it in show business or, or to be discovered. They're there because they're introverts or life has been tough and they've heard that this is a great place to go and meet new people and to laugh. Mm, and that's yeah. really what it's all about. It's opening up avenues of communication, relieving stress with the laughter and knowing that, you know, we're all a little bit crazy, and it's a good thing.
0: Well, I, I like know, what you're saying, Barks. Yeah. You're saying that laughter relieves stress, and it's also a way to, for us to grieve. It's a way for us to get our emotions out.
2: Well, it's it's certainly one of the things that kept me going and kept me open emotionally. Laughter and tears are both uh, involuntary reactions.
1: Mm-hmm. You're laughing
2: because you can't control it, and tears are often because you can't control it and they're right next to each other on the spectrum. I've had people come to the healing improv workshops who came and while we shared our stories at the very beginning, had a tissue box in their lap, crying like crazy, get up, start doing the exercises and playing with everyone. And they start laughing like a loon and having Mm. laughter. And they tell me, I haven't laughed like this in ages, but on the way out the door, they pick up a box of tissues and take it with them. Because the tears are right there, right after it, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. but it keeps that emotion fluid, and it keeps the emotions open, and it keeps you able to access those emotions, which which is a lifesaver.
0: And I love it because you give them permission to laugh, and you, you kind of it lets them know, look, you loved the person that died, and you can still laugh, and it doesn't mean you didn't don't miss them, and that you don't care.
2: Well, yeah, I, I, and it's I, I give them a safe environment so that they can Mm -hmm. give themselves permission to
1: laugh. The man that I talked about that wrote The Body Keeps Score, they actually look at brain images now, and it actually changes the amygdala in the brain. There's actually a brain chemistry that different pathways happen when you do some of these activities, when you do create when you cause the brain to think in creative ways, it actually changes the brain. I think it's important for people to know that. This just isn't some you know, little thing you're doing that you're gonna memorize or watch what Bart does or something. You're actually gonna have some physical components to it.
2: Oh, absolutely. It, it really is, it's about giving people that ability to play like they were kids on the playground again. And it, it, it's, it's, it's mind-activating exercises. We, we do stuff. It's impossible to achieve certain games, so that people can laugh at themselves for the fact that they couldn't do it because we all take ourselves way too seriously when something like this happens too. And there are physical reactions to laughter that do the body good. It releases stress. It, it releases endorphins. And it does. It lights up parts in the brain that do not light up unless you start laughing.
1: You know, one thing, though, I remember uh, a lot of shame around laughing, uh, you know, the, the thought of laughing. We, My husband and I heard that Tootsie, you know, uh, that movie was funny. And I think it was about, I don't know, it might even be three months after Scott died, we went like 60 miles away to see the movie or 40 or something so that we wouldn't know anybody in the theater.
2: Yeah, I, it's interesting. That it's one of the most important components of the workshops is that I share David's story first so that everyone who's there knows that the guy who's standing up in front of them making com- a complete and total moron of himself trying to get them to come along and laugh with me uh, has been there and that I f- have found that it's okay to laugh. And I tell them that the, the laughter and the improv gave me a vacation much like people that turn to drugs and other things to sort of dull the senses, the improv gives people that vacation away from the grief. It it engages the mind so you can't constantly be thinking about it. And it gives you, even if it's only for 20 minutes, if it gives you that vacation away from the grief and allows your brain to laugh and do other things that are normal, it makes all the difference for people, but it's, it's important that they know that I've been there, that I've stood in my living room and screamed at the universe, why? Because I have, and I've been down the same road they've all been down, and they need to know that going into it, and that helps them, put them at ease with the shame. There's no doubt that we don't want to feel laughter again, and we don't want to have other people see us laugh. I told my first joke, it was in bad taste, and it was bitter, and I was angry within three hours of knowing David had passed. I, uh, it be, partially because of who I am, but, you know, it's like the people telling the challenger jokes and the other things. When tragedy strikes, it's a way people deal with tragedy is through humor when we can't access it any other way. Humor is often our, the way we do it. In our own
1: personal it. family, we did have some last, didn't we, Heidi? Absolutely. And now they're not even funny, you know. Like we had like three funerals or something, and my husband was having a, you know, fit about the fact that we were taking the show on the road, you Mm -hmm. know. (laughs) And we thought we all thought it was funny, you know. Right. And and behind and below
0: beneath all humor is is a bit of truth and reality. Oh, absolutely. You you can say things and couch them in humor that you can't just say normally. Oftentimes.
2: Oh yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah.
1: How do you remember uh, anything about laughter as far as, I I think it must be tough going off to college. Nobody knew him, and I don't know.
0: I just think that laughter has been my coping mechanism. That's why I think I loved meeting Bart. And, you know, I love being around people that can make me laugh, especially if you're in an intense situation. You know, when we go to Compassionate Friends, and I love the organization, and you know I'm on the board, sometimes in the middle of those national conferences, you just feel a little overwhelmed, by grief and sadness and that energy and, you know, being around people like Bart and Jordan Ferber, they can make me laugh. Sometimes I will seek them out at these conferences so that I can kind of shift my energy a little bit and get in those spaces.
1: You know, my husband is very funny.
0: mm Mm-hmm. He is.
1: He's very funny, but in a Woody Allen way.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. He makes all these
1: comments, and then he stands and looks at you straight-faced
2: while you're totally cracking up. Well, that's high praise. <laughs> 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 well, the, the great thing about improv is that uh, there are improv classes and improv troops in all the cities all over this country. Mm. And uh, it's funny because what I do in healing improv is I haven't done anything that recreates the wheel or made any brilliant breakthrough with improv. I'm using the same team-building exercises and communication exercises that we use in corporate training and that we use in the basic levels of people when they go to learn improv. So, though, of course, I would love people to buy my book or be able to attend one of my workshops, uh, the great thing about it is you can find improv places anywhere around the country and get involved with learning improv. And they don't need to know why you're there. They don't need to know... But it's a place where you can go and sort of play and leave your everyday life behind for however long you're in the class. Uh, I'm sure people probably get more out of doing it with a group who are, who are grieving and that they know specifically why they're there. And there's a certain camaraderie, and just like a compassionate friend. You know, everybody who's in the room has traveled down a similar road you have. It puts you at great ease. But there's Hundreds of places across the country where you can go and, and get involved and learn improv, and it'll give you the same kind of benefit, that same ability to laugh, to give you let yourself be silly, to stop taking yourself too seriously, and and it's unlike and this is not a knock against laughter yoga and those kind of things. They all have their place. There's something about the laughter that comes out of group improv work that's very organic. It comes from a very real place. The laughter yoga, you start forcing the laughter, and it becomes real. With improv, the laughter is organic from the very get-go, and it touches your soul right down to the toes from the very beginning. Healing improv, we don't charge anything for our services. We, we try to hold about a, a monthly workshop here or around the West Michigan area so that people can come. Um, I also have traveled to uh, Compassionate Friends, chapters all over the country. I've been to Rochester, New York. I've been to Minnesota. I've been all over the place. And I all I need is for somebody to help with the expenses to get me there. There's no charge for what we do or anything else. Of course, people are always welcome to throw us donations because we're a 501c3. But I don't work. Uh, I don't get any salary uh, from the charity. I basically take whatever money I take in goes back into getting me places to be able to provide the workshops for people and to keep us running. But people can find me. Uh, I'm on Facebook, uh, Healing Improv on Facebook, and also our website which is www.healing-improv.org you can reach me through that and if you have a group of people that would like to have me come in you know I'll work with you I don't need you to provide 100 percent of my expenses but if you can help me to help get me there you know that's all I need so that I can come and and help people out I'm ready what about you Heidi
0: absolutely wherever Bart is I am there count (laughs) me in mom
2: I'm excited because I'm, I'm getting a chance to go uh, it, back to the New York area, which is where I was born and raised. In April, to do a couple of workshops, which I'm very excited about. So,
1: all right, I and love we're it. hoping to have him on our TV show there. Absolutely,
2: yeah. Well, I've got such a pretty face, you know. You want to have <laughs> me on TV? <laughs> all
1: right, Bart. Thank you so much. It's uh, been great to have you on the show. And uh, it's
2: been it's been always great to talk to you guys. So,
1: thanks, Bart. Keep us no laughing. Problem. Thank you. <laughs> oh, Heidi, uh, what fun to talk to Bart. He's just always so, uh, you know, upbeat, and I, I love it, and uh, it's it's fantastic. Thanks for uh, listening to the show today. And uh, as always, Heidi and I want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own, and God bless.
2: You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Doctors Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.